so the idea is that uh, if our brains, if the particles in our brains are entangled with other particles uh, in the universe, then when our brains die, those other particles are still there and they're still entangled. And so maybe there's still a consciousness out there in the universe that reflects what our consciousness was when we were alive. I don't know if it's hard to see right now how that would work, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't work. You ever wonder what mediums do with their free time? How about a 30-something-year-old gay medium living in New York City? Well, in this podcast, you're about to find out. Welcome to Ghost Daddy, a place where LGBTQ plus spiritual people and our cis-hetero allies, of course, have a place to just be themselves and spread their wisdom. This is the new face of spirituality. None of that love and light, toxic positivity crap. So pour yourself a vodka soda, <laughs> open up your mind, and start listening. You can listen to the Ghost Daddy podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts. just happened. I'm your host, Liz Enton. If you listen to the intro, you know my story. If not, here's a brief summary. I'm a science skeptic, and when my dad died, I took a shot in the dark and decided to investigate if there was any possible evidence of an afterlife. I assumed that was as realistic as Santa Claus, but I was desperate. However, I was so blown away by what I discovered that I wrote a book and launched this podcast. In this podcast, I will be talking to some fairly normal people about some really weird shit. I speak with everyone from psychic mediums and afterlife researchers to ordinary people who've had some inexplicable experiences. So come, listen, there's no need to draw any final conclusions. Keep an open mind and wonder, what the fuck just happened? Hi everyone, I have a guest today who's an author. His name is C. Kimbrell, and he is the author of Atheists in the Afterlife, Eight Paths to Life After Death Without God. So... As anyone who's been listening to this podcast for a while knows, he and I think alike. So, C, introduce yourself. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, so, I have a science background. I have a PhD in biology, and I was a biology professor for a while. And then uh, I left that to uh, support my wife's career. And that's when I decided to write this book. And it's ideas that I've been thinking about for a really long time. And so uh, it was really great to get it on the page and to uh, put down these ideas and hopefully to connect with other people. Not too many of us pursue this. And there's not many of us atheists and skeptics who are really thinking a lot about evidence of an afterlife. So what got you on this path? Um, I grew up in a family that was not very religious. And so I never 
really thought that God existed. It always seemed pretty unlikely that there was a God. And so that obviously raises the question, well, okay, what happens next? Uh, what happens when you die? What is the meaning of life if there is no God? And so even from a young age, these are questions I've been thinking about and wondering about. So there was never, uh, you know, like one event in my life that led me to start thinking about this. It's something I've always been interested in, something I've always been thinking about and try to read about. And uh, so it's wonderful to be able to add to that conversation. I definitely get it about really wondering what happens, especially never thinking there's a God. And I also think after studying afterlife evidence for the past few years, it's still just a huge jump to conclude that any of this points to there actually being a God. I mean, I have total respect for anyone who has faith and belief, but if we're talking about from a purely data science-based approach, I think there's very strong evidence of an afterlife, but I think to conclude that there needs to be a God behind that, or even that there is, is it's a huge jump. Yeah, I completely agree. There's just no real reason for there to be a God. And so why would you assume that there is one? I completely agree. And then I'm curious, how do you define God? Because I know in conversations with some people, I'm like, no, I don't think there's God. And they're like, do you think there's any possible consciousness that are more advanced than us that are not in a body? I'm like, okay, I do. But I, why would I define that as a God? Like I'm more advanced than an ant. I'm not a God, you know? So I kind of think of it like that. There probably are more advanced consciousness if our consciousness could be non-local, but that could be us in like, whatever time means in other dimensions, you know, 500,000 years, we could maybe advance that level. How do you define a God? Uh, I guess I would define a God as someone, some consciousness, some being that can break the laws of physics. And obviously at this point in time, we don't know all the laws of physics, but I think we have a pretty, pretty good grasp on the basics. And so uh, sure, there might be some um, alien civilization that is able to do things that we don't think are possible now, but they're still not breaking the laws of physics. So I just think it's highly unlikely that there is some conscious being that is able to actually break those laws. I think the laws, I think they're going to be different and expanded upon compared with what we know now. I think there very likely are other dimensions where consciousness exists, probably tied in with string theory. They might have different laws, but if a being can exist without any of the laws of other dimensions of consciousness applying to them. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think if we find a being that breaks the laws of physics, I think rather than concluding there's a God, I would more likely conclude we're learning and getting more insight into the laws of physics in another level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with that. Right. Like, you know, the split particle. I'd say that's something where very much the laws of physics are quote unquote being defied in a way physicists still don't understand, yet it seems to apply to the laws rather than saying there's a God splitting or not splitting particles on his, her, their own free will. <laughs> there's something we still don't fully understand about particle physics. And I will say that I think one of the most fundamental things that physicists don't understand is time itself which absolutely plays into the ideas of an afterlife. Uh, you know, if we don't even understand how time works, then how can we understand what happens after our time is supposedly up? That's very true. We feel very confined in our experience of time here. Tell me about time. Like, what are your thoughts? What is it that you find the most remarkable about the study of time? 
<laughs> just that it's almost the easy question. Yeah, right. <laughs> I guess it's just still amazes me that it's impossible to wrap your head around what time actually is. You know, in our limited experience, we just think it's this ruler that's, and it's always going to be going forward, uh, never backwards. But as Einstein showed, that's not how time works. Uh, time moves faster or slower depending on how fast you're going or the kind of gravity that you're experiencing. And so uh, that does kind of raise one of the ideas of the afterlife that I discuss in the book is the idea of a block universe where physicists have realized that since we don't understand what time is, we are very uh, able to realize that uh, space that we can't see, see still exists. So I can't see the Eiffel Tower right now, but I know that Paris exists. Um, but the same might actually be true for time as well. Uh, just because we can't see the past, just because we can't see the future, doesn't mean that they don't exist. And so a lot of really well-respected physicists think that there's a block universe where both the present and the future exist right now and will exist that way forever, for eternity. And so if we are in that block universe, if we are conscious within that block universe that exists forever, for eternity, then I think you that is an afterlife because you are there. Your consciousness is there forever. And so to, let me just get this clear. So it would be when we die, it's not as if our consciousness ends. We are constantly living as ourselves conscious in all the moments of our life, just eternally. And we're conscious and we're just experiencing each moment and feeling like we're experiencing it for the first time, but we're in an eternal experience of the moments of our life it, with the experience of each moment at the same time, you know, not how we experience time, but perpetually living. And it is kind of nice to think about the fact that maybe we experience the very best moments of our lives for eternity. The downside is that we may experience the very worst moments of our lives for eternity as well. So I, it definitely kind of helps you realize that maybe you need to be li living your life in such a way that you're experiencing good moments as often as possible. It was actually when I read your book, that was not a theory I'd really ever thought about before. So I, that was a very interesting one. Um, I don't want you to tell all eight because I think <laughs> everyone needs to go read your book. It was also interesting of all of the theories that you have, is there one that you think is the most likely and why? I think the one we were just discussing, the block theory, just because there's so much experimental evidence that time isn't what we think it is. And there's so many very smart physicists who think that there is a block universe. But having said that, I think that there's several other of the ideas that I discussed that are also quite possible and can be quite possible at the exact same time as the block universe. So a lot of the different paths that I discuss could be occurring at the same time. So there could be multiple afterlives for us. Which do you think is the least likely? So uh, in empty space, particles are constantly being created. Uh, and so there's this idea of a Boltzmann brain. And so it's this idea that in an infinite universe over infinite space, you'll just have a brain that'll come into existence just by chance. And so if there's a Boltzmann brain, is it possible there's a Boltzmann God? Is it possible that the universe can create a God? Um, I think it's unlikely that a, a God could be created because then it would be breaking the laws of physics. But on the other hand, maybe the laws of physics can expand in such ways that we don't really understand yet. 
So maybe it's possible that the universe can actually create a god. I think that's probably unlikely, but I think it's still a possibility. Okay, and that's an interesting take because usually religious people believe God created the universe. So the universe would, by coincidence, the same way evolution created us, universe by coincidence would create a being so powerful that it could defy the own laws that the universe that existed within the universe through some fluke or anything. Right. Given enough time and enough space, maybe they would happen. And if there is such a God, then maybe such a God would feel like I missed out on all these interesting human beings that existed. Maybe I want to, you know, give them an afterlife and talk to them. Uh, again, it's not necessarily the most likely, but it is a possibility. And that would be up to the choice of the God. I mean, the God could have favorite ones and could be like, <laughs> I like you, I like you, yeah. I don't like you. <laughs> right, right. Which one would you most want to be true if you could pick one? Uh, I do kind of like the idea that maybe we are just living in a simulation right now. So I, I talk a little bit about the idea that uh, in the future, there's a really good possibility that scientists will be able to simulate consciousness. And so within a computer, we'll be able to kind of create a human being, a human mind. Uh, once that's possible, I imagine scientists would want to create lots of minds and see how they interact. So you could imagine entire worlds of conscious humans being created in the computer. Well, if there's you know thousands of scientists creating hundreds of thousands of simulations with billions of people, the likelihood that we are actually conscious beings created in a, in a computer simulation is much higher than that we're actually human beings who are alive right now. So it's possible that we're just in a computer simulation and we don't realize that because it's a simulation that the scientists are looking at or doing experiments on so they don't want us to realize that we're in a simulation. So if we are in the simulation, the question is what happens when we die in the simulation? And I think if you look at how humans have treated other animals who were in simulations, such as chimpanzees. So chimpanzees in the United States, uh, we used to do medical experiments on them, and then that stopped. And so there were a lot of uh, chimpanzees who were still alive, but they weren't ha uh, having any experiments done on them. And so the federal government created a haven for these chimpanzees, a chimp haven, as kind of a reward for being these uh, medical experiments. And so I would imagine that if we're experiments in some scientists' computer simulation, that when we die, we wouldn't just be deleted, that we would also kind of be rewarded with some kind of uh, haven after we die as a reward for being in this experiment. And so maybe after we die, we are put into a chip haven where we are allowed to live in a paradise for you know millions or billions of years because we were in this experiment before. I would see that one as the, how, that could be a much longer afterlife. I couldn't see it as being eternal. Tell me if I'm wrong, because an advanced civilization living within our universe, there will be the big crunch, unless that's all simulated. I mean, this is where you get into <laughs> philosophy, but... You know, yeah. the big crunch could be simulated. The people simulating us or beings simulating us could be simulated. I mean, you can get into so many philosoph <laughs> philosophical games with this. 
Absolutely. No, I agree. I, I mean, it, it wouldn't probably uh, exist for eternity, like you said, because of a big crunch or just people getting tired of the electricity bills. Okay, so it's not eternal, but it's a million years. It's a billion years. I think, you know, as far as afterlives go, <laughs> that's not too bad. It's not too bad. I would take that over <laughs> absolute obliteration after however few years we all have here as humans. I've read a bit about the simulation. I always find that interesting. Um, I know, who is it? Michu, am I right? Michu Kaku talks about that a lot. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a fascinating idea. Uh, I, I think that there is certainly a possibility that it's true just because you know, math is so important, plays such an important role in the universe. And so if the math is on the side of us being simulation, maybe we actually are. Do you think we have free will if that would be true? Is Are we just simulated and like allowed to go do what we want? Or is it written out like a movie where every bit of our lives are plotted? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And of course, that's one of those questions that people have been asking for thousands of years and no one has an answer for. Uh, so I don't have an answer for it either. But I, I mean, I do think that basically a lot of our existence is probably deterministic, that a lot of who we are was written at the Big Bang. Uh, and a lot of what happens in the future has already you know, basically been decided. But that doesn't mean that we don't have free will. So we still get to make decisions even if those decisions are already written into the future uh, in a block universe, even if those decisions already exist. Still, in each moment, we're actually doing the deciding. So we decide the day to day. We decide what city we want to live in, who we want to marry, if we want to marry, do we want to have children? We decide all of that, our career. But the fact that we were to be born was predetermined. You know, to what extent do you think, you know, I was about to say big natural disasters, but those seem to be so much of them now, sadly, are the cause of our own human behavior hurting the planet. And so, you know, things that we're perceiving as natural disasters don't seem to be so natural. So are those pre-planned too, you think? Yeah, I would say uh, to a degree that, yeah, it is deterministic that it has already, it's bound to happen. But I think, again, it's important to, to realize that you can have both a deterministic future and also free will. I don't think the two are incompatible. I think as a human, I always think, no, I have free will because that's how I experience it. And if I don't, it's designed that I do perceive that. But that's true. It's just like, Think about when you're a child, your parents say you're going to this school, you're, we're having this for dinner. This is your bedtime, you know, getting more and more freedom as you get older. But so a lot is determined, but within that you get to determine so much of yourself and, and already certain things are predetermined the body you're in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and kind of like kind of going off of your point, um, you know that tomorrow you're going to be wearing a shirt. It's just you get to choose what color shirt it's going to be and, and whether it has buttons or not. And so uh, there can definitely be, you know, free will within your determinism. And you pick the shirt that you have in your closet. And <laughs> if you want to buy a new one, it takes more time. And you have to buy one that's either available nearby or wait for it to arrive for a few days. So, yeah, I mean, there's interesting limits everywhere when you think of it that way, like free will within a limitation. One thing I find interesting, you touch upon reincarnation. What are your thoughts on that? 
Uh, I guess the way I viewed uh, reincarnation definitely goes back to this like question of determinism or not. And so I was kind of thinking about it in uh, a Buddhist context where the idea is that you're reincarnated, but your consciousness is, is the same, but you don't have any memories. So you don't realize that you were reincarnated. And so your past deeds influence how you're reincarnated, but you don't have any memory of your past deeds. So it's reincarnation in the sense that your past is influencing your future self. And so my argument was that uh, if the universe is deterministic, if you know our actions today influence actions 100 years from now, 1,000 years from now, 10,000 years from now, then in a way, we really are being reincarnated because we are influencing individuals in the future. And yes, those individuals can't don't have our memories, but they wouldn't be who they are without us existing right now. And so it's not kind of the traditional reincarnation of, yeah, it's, you know, the exact same body. Maybe you don't have the memories. If you think hard enough, maybe you can remember to when you were, you know, a, a king or a queen. But it's the idea that basically our past lives can influence the future and us today will influence the future. That was actually the very first thought. Well, the very, very first thought I had about a possibility of an afterlife is that time travel, theoretically, although not practically, is possible. And within the laws of the universe, I mean, our bodies can't physically go travel close to the speed of light. We don't have the materials, but just the fact that if we were to physically travel close to the speed of light, our you know time would behave differently. If we traveled for, I'm going to have the numbers wrong, but just so everyone listening knows, but let's say we traveled for two years at close to the speed of light. And so let's say you started at 25, you came back, you'd be 27. Everyone on earth, if you were traveling close to the speed of light would be significantly older by, I don't know, let's say, I mean, some huge amount, like 20 years or something. Um, Again, I have the numbers wrong, but the concept, right? And then my next thought about reincarnation was that I thought at the time consciousness was created by our brain cells. And I thought, well, if the coincidence of that happening once created a me, and I'm experiencing this and a self, why could that not happen again in like 300 years? Not as Liz, but why could a bunch of brain cells and neurons that create a human being not be a human being that was a me? Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. And that kind of goes back to that idea of the Boltzmann brain, where just out of random chance, you have a brain. Well, maybe just out of random chance, you have a brain that's exactly like your brain is right now that comes into existence. And so certainly, uh uh, given a long enough period of time in an infinite universe, absolutely, there could be a, a brain identical to your brain right now that exists sometime in the future. And yeah, that definitely is a version of reincarnation. I like that idea a lot. I Googled it and I found their scientific researchers, Dr. Ian Stevenson and Dr. Jim Tucker. Do you know their work? No, I'm afraid they don't. Okay. Oh, I was so excited to talk to you about this then <laughs> because I think you'd love it. Because what's so interesting is their is actually a department at the University of Virginia called Vision of Perceptual Studies. And one of the researchers, originally two, but Dr. Ian Stevenson passed away. So these two, as well as some other people who, I guess, collaborate with 
Dr. Now Dr. Jim Tucker, who's taken over the research, they are child psychiatrists, very evidence science minded, traditional child psychiatrists. And they started to study cases of kids with past life memories, doing actual data, matching up, finding the person who exists today, and they're getting positive results. And it's just absolutely the most phenomenal research. So I just thought it was interesting because anytime I've heard logical science-minded people talk about reincarnation, they bring up doctors, Tucker and Stevenson. So I just think you had a really fresh approach to going that route. So it was I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to do some research on that. <laughs> that sounds fascinating. Oh, it's so fascinating. I think you'll just love it. It's There's a whole department also. It, they're called the Division of Perceptual Studies at the University of Virginia, and they study near-death experiences. And I think that's one thing that stood out to me about your book is there's this one body of research, and I write about it in my book, but it's kind of what everybody who is studying all this talks about division of perceptual studies that I just mentioned, this group Winbridge that studies psychic mediums to see if they can get accurate information beyond the odds of chance under strict controls and they're getting results. So instead of studying this body of research, you came at it from a combination of your knowledge of science and philosophy. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely kind of coming from more of a hard science background uh, I just wanted to look at how the science and the philosophy uh, go together, how they can mesh and not kind of get bogged down in, oh, this science paper says this and this science paper disagrees. And, uh, you know, what are the what are the possibilities? Uh, what are the outlines of what the afterlife might look like? And so that's kind of like you said, that's the approach that I took instead of going into oh, there's this discriminant over here. <laughs> there's these people who claim that this uh, group doesn't know what they're talking about. Yeah, I thought it was such a fresh, interesting approach. For anyone who's been reading a lot about this, it's a really different take and really, really fun to read. So you haven't been aware of any of this research? I certainly dipped my toe into it, but I, I didn't want to kind of go down that path, I guess. I, I wanted to try and stay a little bit more philosophical, a little bit more hard science if possible, instead of, you know, trying to get a little bit bogged down in some of those uh, studies, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Because if you'd gone into any of them, I would have, I was going to ask why you left all them out if you did, or your thoughts on any of them, if you did delve in at all. So you just kind of wanted to take a different approach. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on any of it? Do you think it's valid or? Uh, I mean, I, I guess I'm reluctant to say one way or the other, just because I haven't delved into it as much as you have. Uh, I guess coming from a science background and naturally being skeptical, <laughs> I, I definitely am, am very skeptical. I, uh, I think, you know, extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. And so I, I think I would need to see very something very extraordinary before I would, you know, be willing to accept what a lot of these studies maybe are claiming. I always said extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof too, and I think I've gotten it. I, oh, proof! I won't say proof. I wish it was proof, <laughs> evidence, where preponderance of evidence, where I think it's a reasonable conclusion. Which you know, I thought more like you, even less like you. I mean, I just was like, no, no way, no afterlife. So. <laughs> Yeah. What has been the response of, of people in the scientific community? I know there's a lot of judgment about this type <laughs> of thoughts. Some I understand why. And some I'm like, eh, be curious. 
So (laughs) give it a chance. You know, I mean, I get where they're coming from, especially because some of the beliefs based without evidence can cause a lot of harm. So I get why they say that, but what has been the response of your community for writing this book? Yeah, some people are definitely very uh, supportive of the idea. They they like, I guess it, it does kind of come down to two types of people. There are some people who like new ideas, who like thinking outside the box. And then there's some people who like the dogma, <laughs> who feel like, you know, if it's not something that I read in a textbook, then it certainly can't be true. And so that's certainly been the re- reaction I've gotten. It's, uh, there, are, there are certainly some people who definitely, you know, like the ideas, like uh, thinking about that. and. and been very uh, supportive of me to continue thinking about these ideas and then of course there are other people just say oh it's all hogwash you know why are you wasting your time right is this something you think you're going to continue pursuing in either writing or research yeah oh definitely yeah this is like i said from a young age this is something that i've always been interested in so yeah absolutely definitely uh, would hope to keep uh, thinking about this and hopefully keep writing about it Are you an advocate, a change maker, a healer, or an expander? Does your business have an important story to tell? A story agency can help you craft and share your business's story with the right audience. A story is a public relations and communications firm that develops thoughtful strategies, content, and powerful partnerships for those who are making a positive social impact, sparking reform, and promoting well-being. Founded by Allison Mahoney, an American lawyer who has spent the past decade advocating on behalf of survivors of social injustices, crimes, and civil rights violations, a story agency is not your average PR firm. Reach out to a story agency today at hello at a story, E-S-T-O-R-I-E agency.com or visit www.astoryagency.com and mention WTF just happened in the subject line to receive a free 30-minute consultation. Have you come across any studies, experiences? I know your book covers some aspects. Is there anything that you just have heard that maybe was too out there to put in you, your book, but you think is worthy of further investigation? Well, I think uh, some of the quantum entanglement ideas, uh, I, I talked about it a little bit and I maybe poo-pooed it a little bit, but I think that there's just so much that we don't know about uh, the quantum world. And so there's so many possibilities about different dimensions and quantum entanglements between particles that's are in our brain and are you know halfway across the universe. And, uh, so definitely, I think that's where a lot more research uh, needs to be focused. Do you want to explain quantum entanglement? I know it, I've talked about it before in this podcast, but I feel like I've been delving into this for almost six years and I still have to like reread it every single time because I'm still <laughs> like, how? I can't believe this. So <laughs> yeah, do you want to re- explain it for our listeners? Uh, sure. So uh, say so you have two particles and you know that one has to be spinning one way, one has to be spinning the other way. So one has to be spinning left, one has to be spinning right, but you don't know. And just when you talk about particles, you mean quantum particles, like atoms, protons, all the stuff that takes all of you guys back to like high school science. 
Yeah, exactly. And you could have uh, two people take these two particles and go millions of miles away from each other. And then when you actually uh, look at whether the particle is spinning to the left or to the right, there's a 50% chance it'll be spinning to the right, a 50% chance it'll be spinning to the left. And you don't know that until you actually look. So when you do look, if it's spinning to the left, then that other particle has to be spinning to the right. If it's spinning to the right, the, the other particle has to be spinning to the left. But you don't know which way it's spinning. It's just a probability. It's just a 50-50 chance that it's going to be spinning one way or the other. You don't know until you actually look at that particle, touch that particle. And so the other particle, how does it know which way it should be spinning? It's a million miles away. But instantaneously, that other particle knows which way it needs to be spinning. And so that's quantum entanglement. That's what Einstein called uh, spooky action at a distance. And it's another one of those things like time that it's almost impossible to get your brain around to really understand, but it's real. It's been tested multiple, multiple, multiple times. And so it's something that is a real aspect of our universe that we are still trying to come to grips with. That really shows kind of what we were talking about, about defying the laws of physics, because they are communicating, if they're that far away, they're communicating faster than the speed of light. Somehow information is being transmitted between these two particles faster than the speed of light. Yeah. And then if you change the spin of one, so, cause some people, I know when I first was reading this, I'm like, well, they were split and they already were doing that. But then if you change the spin of one, the other instantaneously changes. Yeah. And it's just like, he's, like I have said multiple times, it's impossible to wrap your brain around because it's just not something that we deal with on our daily basis, on our daily lives. But it's something that is absolutely real. And so I think that absolutely goes to the idea of the afterlife. Sure, we don't see dead people walking around anymore. We don't see spirits, we don't see souls, but that doesn't mean that they don't exist. Uh, just because our limited experience here on earth, a few decades long, on um, one little tiny corner of the universe, isn't gonna tell us what is happening in the rest of the universe. It isn't gonna tell us uh, how the universe really acts. And I mean, we already know there's such concrete close to our experience things we don't see. We don't see infrared and ultraviolet. And there's probably things that go so beyond that, that we can't even measure it with our instruments. And when you mentioned this originally about quantum entanglement, you also mentioned something about it tying into a brain. What do you mean by that? Uh, so the idea is that uh, if our brains, if the particles in our brains are entangled with other particles uh, in the universe, then when our brains die, those other particles are still there and they're still entangled. And so maybe there's still a consciousness out there in the universe that reflects what our consciousness was when we were alive. I don't know if it's hard to see right now how that would work, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't work. So that's where I think a lot more research needs to go into looking at. Interestingly, that's actually, I'm not saying anywhere near, I would call this factual, but as of now, at this point, the amount of research I've done, I think that is the most likely answer to everything that seems to be going on. Have you read Dr. Stuart Hameroff and Sir Roger Penrose? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. They're the ones that sort of verify and why I think that's the most <laughs> likely explanation. Right. So that's basically their idea was that there's this entanglement. And one of the things I mentioned in the book is that there's been actual experiments showing that there are entanglement going on within cells. So it's not like some 
pie in the sky idea because there really is entanglement going on within ourselves right now. And so it could absolutely be a, a possibility, could absolutely be something that is actually happening. And these are two scientists. They are talking about this part of our brain called the micro tubulars, tubules. I never know if I'm pronouncing it right. And <laughs> they are part of our brain that they think could be downloading, at a, entangled with, downloading, communicating with these other quantum particles that are not local that host our consciousness or they create our consciousness when entangled with each other. And they worked with Stephen Hawking. They've won Nobel prizes. I mean, they're not what people refer to as woo. I mean, they're pretty <laughs> impressive. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, they, they argue that that's how consciousness arises in the first place is by detailing what between the different neurons in our brains between the tubules. And so uh, if, you know, it's, if it requires entanglement to create consciousness, then maybe that entanglement is what allows consciousness to exist after death. What are your thoughts on string theory? How much do you think it ties in? And just so everyone knows string theory is one of the theories out there that there are, what is it? One theory has nine dimensions. Another thinks we have 12 dimensions. And these are being studied by physicists. This isn't part of the spiritual world in any way. It's Dr. Brian Green, Green Dr. Lisa Randall. So, and this is actually another very early thing that got me thinking yeah. this could all be true. So right. yeah, what are your thoughts on string theory? Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly seems like it's a really good explanation for what we know about the universe. And then, you know, there's uh, kind of side uh, theories like membrane theory that kind of build on string theory. And uh, absolutely, these ideas could absolutely be what explains the fundamental basis of our universe. And how do these strings interact with consciousness? How do they interact with the tangled particles? At this point in time, we just really do not know. So explain what membrane theory is. And I'm glad you brought that up because I was about to ask you something about that next. <laughs> uh, so this is definitely not my area of expertise. Uh, my understanding is just that it's kind of string theory. So you actually, the idea is that you have strings that are, are the basic component of the universe. And so a membrane is just basically saying that it's not a string. It's actually more of a two-dimensional membrane that forms the basis of the universe. Um, beyond that, I'm not sure I could really talk to you. I was going to see if you had any way of understanding your thoughts on this one video I saw because I'm just... It's mind-blowing. I'm sort of baffled by it. Dr. Stephen Hawking, I believe shortly before he passed, talked about the brains, B-R-A-N-E, which are membranes, and he refers to them as the brains, and that they're different brains that make up different dimensions or different universes. And he started talking about shadow people and how there's a reflection of, I guess, people, for lack of a better word, um, from one dimension into ours. I, I, I'm just curious if you even saw that video or no I know I haven't seen that but yeah that sounds really interesting <laughs> yeah I always want to talk about that but I'm also always a little cautious talking about Stephen Hawking and overinterpreting because I think a lot of people who are interested in afterlife research will take these scientists and overinterpret and I'm I can't promise I've never done that I try not to but yeah it was so interesting and that's essentially what he's talking about but I'm like I think that's what he's talking about. So anyone else who kind of is into science who saw it, I'm always curious what your thoughts, but yeah, he pretty much it's, if you Google Stephen Hawking shadow people, it's a YouTube video. You have to dig a little to find it, but it's findable. Yeah. I'll look that up. Now we're getting a little into philosophy, but <laughs> I also wondered with these other dimensions that string theory seems to be 
examining. Maybe that's where some of these quantum non-local consciousness particles are hosted and then downloaded into our micro tubulars. And that explains it. I mean, it's certainly possible. Uh, I, I just feel like, you know, at this point in time, we don't know. And so we certainly can't say no. And so it does frustrate me a bit when there are some well-known scientists who say, oh no, there's no way that there's any kind of afterlife. I, I know this with 100% certain certainty, but no, you don't. <laughs> we really do not understand even the very basics of the universe. You know, to be dogmatic, dogmatic about the existence of God isn't good. To be dogmatic about the lack of existence of an afterlife also isn't good. So I, I think it's so important to remain open-minded, to be willing to ask, ask questions. I heard this early on in my research and it was so helpful because it allowed me to take in everything more and not say, we both were saying we were raised materialist, atheist. It, you know, you think you're lying to yourself if you get any hope ever about any of this. And then I read something, I'm like, this makes so much sense. Our brains and neurons are all material. There's no guarantee, there's no logical way that all of these firing neurons, when they all come together, would automatically create consciousness. It's just as much of a belief set to believe that a brain just creates this complex consciousness. It's not just survival of bacteria, running, avoiding predators and finding prey for survival. It's so, you know, any human listening to this, I think can agree. Our consciousness is so complex and deep and just has so many layers to it. And there's just no explanation of how just neurons and material can create that. And when is the cutoff? When is suddenly enough neurons creates a whole complex consciousness and uh, brings in emotions and love and curiosity? <laughs> it's a leap of faith of another part to insist that consciousness is created by a brain. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I guess I do tend to think that probably consciousness does arise from just neurons and from a, a materialist point of view. But on the other hand, I think that we don't have an explanation for consciousness. And as I discuss a bit in the book, I don't think there's any evidence for God, but consciousness might very well be an evidence for a soul. And so I think we have to be open-minded about the idea that maybe we really don't understand what is the true fundamental basis of consciousness. And maybe there is something beyond what we understand now that uh, is kind of our animating spirit that is what allows us to have consciousness. And how do you define a soul? Yeah, <laughs> so I, I would define a soul as something that um, is maybe kind of the seed of our consciousness and that would live on after death. The question is, if there is no God, what created that soul? Well, if there is no God, what created gravity? Uh, if there is no God, what created color, you know. Uh, so uh, there could certainly be a force within the universe that animates consciousness and that animates all consciousness. And maybe that force lives on well after you're gone. So I guess my definition of the soul is different than a traditional religious definition, but it's still basically the same idea that you have a consciousness that is animating you and then well, lives on after you're dead there's not an afterlife and that our consciousness is created by a brain. You think that's the most likely explanation of everything? Well, I think that uh, our consciousness probably is created by our brains, but I don't think that means that there is no afterlife. 
So kind of in the other ways that I talked about, so a block universe where you are existing for eternity, uh, or if we are uh, a simulation, then again, you're, you know, your consciousness is being created by a computer, but you're still going to live on in an afterlife for you know, a billion years. Or if there's a deterministic universe, so maybe your consciousness isn't, your memories aren't necessarily being passed on, but your effect in the universe is uh, going on for eternity, which I think is a version of an afterlife. And that's not only the effect you have in the world, it's also imprinted in light rays, you know, that travel out through the universe for maybe eternity. Maybe they stay confined within this one galaxy that dies after the Big Bang, who knows? But, you know, we're looking at photos recently from the Hubble telescope because of the way images travel through light. What we're seeing was photos from part of our galaxy that was maybe from like, what was it, like 100 million years ago? Something insane. Yeah, (laughs) that's amazing. Well, and, and also, like you were saying, um, you know, if there's entanglements uh, and that leads to uh, afterlife, I mean, that's still, I would still argue that that's, you know, the brain is um, as a material entity that is allowing that entanglement to occur. So I, I don't think that those ideas are incompatible that, you know, an entanglement while you're alive is still what allows uh, you to have an afterlife. Not related to your book, what do you think is the least likely answer of everything that's out there? And what do you think is the most, well, the most, yeah, what do you think is the most likely of everything out there, outside of the eight of your book? (laughs) Uh, Most likely, well, I think that, so like, as in for what would be the afterlife, the most likely version of that, or whether there is no afterlife at all, or whether there is no afterlife at all, whether there's just the most likely, if you were to to say to you right now, outside of, you know, the fun of philosophy, what would you just, someone put a gun to your head and you had to to be right to survive. What would you say happened is the explanation. I I keep going back to the block universe idea. I just think that we don't know time. We don't understand time. And it just makes so much sense that just because we can't see the past, just because we can't see the future, doesn't mean that they don't exist right now for eternity. And do you think it happens, the block universe, with just this one life? Or do you think it would happen with more than, would we have other lives that would exist within it or just as this one life? Well, I think there's certainly ideas of infinite universes. And so if there are infinite universes, then absolutely you could exist in infinite numbers of these blocks. So you could definitely have infinite number of lives. And they all exist you exist for eternity in all of these different lives. Now, when you say infinite lives, do you mean like reincarnation or like your own self living multiple as if, you know, again, this is, I don't want you to give away all your book. I know we're going to get, you know, I actually don't <laughs> talk about all eight, but do you think it's like we live like, I don't know, say a hundred lives of different people or even like three, or do you think it's our one self? living and getting to experience all the different choices we could have made. Yeah, no, exactly that. I think that it's possible that if there are infinite universes, then you're going to be occurring as yourself in multiple of those. And in different universes, you might make different decisions. And so you might have different paths in each of these different universes. And so absolutely, you could have an infinite number of lives uh, in these different universes. What do you think is the least likely of all the explanations out there in the world? You already answered it related to your book, but uh, not related to your book. Of every explanation you hear, what comes to mind is the least likely? 
I think kind of the traditional Judeo-Christian idea that there's some God who <laughs> created it all and rewards us for uh, praying every Sunday. I, I just think that's very unlikely. I agree with you. I think traditional definitions of religion, Judeo-Christian, all the way back to like Zeus, I find it, of it all, I find that the least likely explanation. And I think that nothing, there's nothing is a lot more likely than that. I would guess the most likely is, you know, as I mentioned before, a type of non-local consciousness that quantum entangles with maybe microtubulars in, in our brains. And, you know, we're going to have a lot more discovery to do in that. I know you're not really doing experiments about this, but if you could design an experiment to test any of these theories, like block, oh, well, let's do block universe. So you can pick any from your book, but it seems block universe is your favorite. Could you think of an experiment you could do to test if it's real? or possible <laughs> to test if it's real is extreme, but to test if there's a hint of evidence that it could be true, what experiment would you recommend? Would you design? Well, I think I did the experiments that already exist showing that time can speed up or slow down. I, that time isn't what we think it is. I, I think that those experiments have already been done. And so I think that's the evidence right there. What direction do you think science is going with all of this? I think just asking about the fundamental nature of the universe. And so like you talked about, like string theory and brain theory, I think that's, I think that's where these philosophical ideas converge with science so naturally. And obviously the idea of an afterlife is a philosophical idea that definitely deserves to <laughs> emerge with these basic fundamental uh, physics questions. So you picked eight theories. If there was a ninth theory worthy of making it in your book, was there one you could think of? So I kind of talked a little bit about this idea of, uh, you know, the branching where every time you make a decision, a new branch of the universe uh, comes into existence. And so uh, every time you do anything, a new universe forms and a new you forms. And so there's an infinite number of yous out there. And so I, I talked on that, touched on that a little bit in the book, but I think that it's also a theory that a lot of really smart physicists think is true. And I think that there's some more interesting kind of philosophical questions about what does that mean for an afterlife that I could have delved into a little bit more. I kind of stuck it in with another chapter. Are there any questions you want to ask me? Anything you want to say? Anything? Well, I guess I'm just curious. So where do you see your future research heading? Well, there's, I want what the fuck just happened to be a trilogy because you can only write a book that's so long if you want <laughs> anyone to ever buy it. <laughs> and so much more has happened since the end of the book. And there were parts that I also couldn't include. So I want it to be a trilogy. Um, I do do other work. And so if one day this is a bit of a, a maybe this would be down the line. I'd love if I ever had enough money, I would absolutely love to start a research lab. That's so down the line. I mean, that'd be like 20, 30 years down the line that just does experiments. So I think for now I'm <laughs> continuing. I still see miraculous and explicable phenomena happening all the time when I study all this. So getting medium readings, I'm still going to events. I'm, I'm still... Just keep exploring it because to me, I find this is all just the most remarkable windows into inexplicable aspects of the universe that I can actually 
have access to. Like the only other thing that I could equate it to, which I don't have access to, would be to go into outer space. And Mm -hmm. if I could, I feel like that would be the same level of profound profundity, profoundness that I get to experience in reading about this, researching this, having conversations on my podcast with people like you. So keeping the podcast going and probably turning what the fuck into a trilogy. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to ask a tough question and kind of turn it on its head from what you asked me. Is there any evidence that would lead you to think that there isn't an afterlife? Isn't. Yeah. You know, that's, a hard question because it's almost I feel about that that was my starting point Mm -hmm. and I find that a little in a way proving a negative I mean I still wouldn't be surprised if there isn't um I still find this evidence absolutely remarkable I think there is a preponderance of evidence that makes it seem most likely now that there is an afterlife but I think could a hole be poked in all of this? Definitely. I think one of the things that most likely the first thing that comes to my mind about this would be if we find out that everything that I have seen from mediums, reading everything to the fact I did like a spoon bending once, if there is an energy field that our brains somehow interact with that doesn't continue infinitely. And we have to have this one material brain for this non-local consciousness to work. And when this brain dies, it doesn't, that nothing continues about that. Or that we're somehow tapping into some, and mediums are tapping into some bank of information that imprints in light waves, you know, is the way I mentioned the Hubble telescope looking at 100 million years ago or something when we look at those photos I think most listeners know about that yeah I I think that would be the thing that would make me think none of this evidence that I think points to a preponderance of an afterlife actually does but I like what you said that you can't prove a negative and it's so important to keep an open mind so even if one of these series does have a hole poked in it that doesn't mean that all the others have holes poked in uh, as well Yes, I guess that's why the evidence would have to. There's just such a strong consistency and thread across the whole body from research on mediums to Dr. Jim Tucker, I talked about kids with past life memories to near death experiences to studies of remote viewing where someone is able to view location way out, like miles away using their consciousness and they report back with accurate information out of body experiences. All of these when there's veridical information where people see that is verified in some way, rather than just experiential. And you combine that with experiential and our minds having influence on objects, like I mentioned, spoon bedding. I mean, the body of research is just so, so vast. So if there was a theory that got much stronger evidence that showed all this working together, kind of what I mentioned before, yeah, it would have to back up that all this is going on, but that it doesn't tie into an afterlife. And I, I still that, that could be totally possible, you know? So, I mean, I hope not. And I still think most probably it's an afterlife, but I mean, I've yeah. only thought there was a chance of an afterlife for a couple of years. So, <laughs> you know, this isn't like a lifelong embedded thought. <laughs> yeah. And, and I always just, you know, think my experience is so limited on this earth. There's <laughs> so much more that we don't know. It would be crazy to say, I know anything with certainty. 
Yeah, and you know, one thing I think kind of tied into that is, well, two th aspects, I'll say. Everything we learn seems to be bigger and more complex than we thought, you know? I mean, you hear back to like our grandparents' days, you were considered nuts to think that there'd be life on other planets for some reason. Now I think the concept of there not being life on other planets in this vast universe maybe multiverse to think we're the only planet with intelligent life form is I think that's as likely you know it's the same kind of mindset as where you know hundreds of years ago they thought the earth was flat and their little piece of land you know whatever country people happen to live in was it and after that was just the end of the earth and that was a logical conclusion based on the information people had at that time right and so I just think things get more deep and more complex and everything seems to point to that. We just see this tiny, tiny bit. And so much of what we experience is proven to be sort of an illusion based on what the human experience is. Oh, I guess I'll ask you then, what would, is there anything that would make you 100% think there's an afterlife or 90%? I feel like you're like me and probably never think of anything 100%. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You definitely thought as a scientist that you can never think anything hundred percent. You always have to be 99.99. Yes. Yes. Uh, so, well, I mean, obviously if there was, you know, God came down and said, hi, I'm God. And, you know, did some magic tricks, then I would probably think, okay, that's pretty good evidence for an afterlife. But beyond that, um, yeah, I, I don't think there's any way to know for certain, but that certainly doesn't mean that it's not a real, very good possibility. Inspired by David Justice, who died after a nearly two-year battle with glioblastoma, JET, Joyful Experience Team, was founded by his son Oliver Justice and his best friends, River Attard, Leo Gerstein, Jack Gorenstein, and Felix Ward. JET seeks to create joyful experiences for families struggling with brain cancer, a chance to enhance their lives with experiences that are rich in love and will be treasured for all time. We believe, like David did, that life should not be measured in time, but in joyful moments. JET will allow families coping with this painful diagnosis to go to special events and be treated like VIPs. Go to makingheadway.org forward slash jet for a complete list of programs and activities. As I'm sure you've heard, the Supreme Court in the United States just overturned Roe v. Wade, which protects a woman's right to have an abortion if she chooses. Now it's illegal in some of our states. If anyone is looking to obtain an abortion and you live in a state where it's illegal, you can check the following sites. I suggest using a VPN, virtual private network, which hides your identity on your computer or phone. These are the sites, womenonwaves.org, womenonweb.org, aidaccess.org, plancpills.org, wholewomanshealth.com, abortionfunds.org, and of course, Planned Parenthood. I linked all of them on our Instagram at WTF underscore just 
underscore happened underscore. And they're saved in our stories. These are also great places to donate and see if they need any help. Hey, I'm interrupting myself and this episode for a second to invite you to send me any questions you have, and I'll pick one each week to read and answer in the next episode. Okay, so this is an interesting question going right there, making me think about where I'm at personally. Knowing all the evidence you know, are you still scared to die? Yes and no. Biologically, I think I have all the same instincts I always had, even before I thought there was an afterlife. And they kick in when there's major turbulence on a plane. I feel terrified. If I got a scary test at the doctor's, I'd probably feel really scared if a car comes speeding at me. Every physiological instinct to survive kicks in the same level it always did. I also still have a lot I want to do with my life. I don't feel at all ready to die. I would be very sad to find out I was dying now. However, I really don't feel afraid of dying in a logical, emotional way. You take away the instincts, no, I'm not scared of it at all anymore. I mean, there's a little bit of the fear of the unknown, and I'm not 100% positive without a doubt there's an afterlife, even though I'm pretty much convinced. So I'm the least scared I've ever been. I don't have this existential dread I used to, and instinctively my body is as programmed as it always has been to want to fight to survive. And long-term, knowing that I'm going to die one day doesn't bother me. And it, it used to bother me a lot. I've been getting a lot of questions, which I'm always happy to reply to and answer. If you have a question you want me to reply to, but not to read on this podcast, just note in it, not for the podcast. I'm happy to answer your questions either way. You can email them to me at liz at wtf just happened.net or send them to me on Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore. Hi everyone. I'm so excited to share that my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife is available now for sale. If you go to wtfjusthappened.net, you can see the link to buy it. I'll also have the link in the podcast show notes. I know many of you want to know how exactly did I come to change my mind about the afterlife? Well, this book is all about the first stages of my exploration into this afterlife evidence to where I'm at today. It starts with the awful part of when I lost my dad. How as a science-minded atheist, I first began to explore if there was any possibility of an afterlife, and what and who I found most compelling. I also share some stuff that was not so compelling, such as a very clearly fake psychic medium reading and a pretty ridiculous seance, but that's balanced by some amazing peer-reviewed studies on mediums, medium readings, parapsychologists, and 
just a whole bunch of what the fucks, including some really inexplicable personal things that happened to me and some really incredible signs I got from my dad. Despite the topic, it's actually funny, mainly because I'm just like such an awkward person. And you also get to learn about all the amazing people and incredible characters I met along the way, as well as more about the research that helped change my mind. And some of the people you learn about have become some of my really good friends and mentors today. So go to WTFJustHappened.net and order it. If you've already read it, please rate and review on Amazon. I cannot tell you how helpful that is. And share with any friends who might be interested. Thank you all. I'm so excited to finally share the full details of this crazy exploration with all of you. Okay, well, thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, this was a great, it was really fun. I love that you asked me the questions too. It made it so much fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just saw myself. We wanted to keep asking you questions, but I figured, oh, she's. Oh, no, I loved it. Please go ahead. <laughs> I loved it. Um, it was just such a fun conversation. We definitely, even if we might make a little bit of different conclusions, possibly, I think we both, our minds seem to work like in a lot of ways um so you said you're continuing this do you think there'll be another book hopefully someday um in the future <laughs> i haven't started working on it but uh we have ideas in my head that i'm you know like oh i really need to start working on this start writing so yeah hopefully oh yeah well, i'd love to have you back on after and also if you delve into all of jim tucker and all of this research i'd love you ever to come on and discuss your opinions positive or negative whatever you think conclude and now lastly where can our listeners find you so um my book is on amazon uh other than that i don't really have any kind of media presence i yeah <laughs> i guess i'm old school and that i uh, kind of like to stay away from all of that uh, so but on amazon or uh, any of the uh online booksellers uh, should uh, carry my book atheist in the afterlife eight paths to life after death without god information on what the fuck just happened, go to wtfjusthappened.net. There you can order my book, What the Fuck Just Happened, A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife. And you can learn all about how I came to conclude that there most likely is an afterlife. You can also learn about the early stages of my grief and the amazing, fascinating people I met along the way. You can also read about how much I harassed them trying to get evidence, see if they were cheating, and see if they were sane. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It makes such a difference, especially for a new podcast like this one. And if any of you have had a crazy what the fuck yourself, have any questions, feedback, or just want to say hi, reach out on either Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore, or email me at hello at WTF just happened.net. And remember, you don't have to draw any final conclusions as you wonder, 
what the fuck just happened?